All right, please take out your Bibles and you can turn to John chapter 15. John 15, beginning in verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you again for drawing us together as your people. We thank you for providing us the space in which we may meet. Father, now as your word is opened and proclaimed, I pray that you would do what only you can. Lord, send your spirit to open up eyes, ears, hearts, and minds. May we receive it for what it is, your word, not the word of man. Lord, may it be your truth that is spoken and nothing else. Pray that you would get me out of the way Lord, get whatever baggage people have out of the way uh, so that there be nothing that would prevent your word from being applied to their hearts by your spirit. Pray in all these things that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pick up again where we left off in our series in John. Uh, We are spending some time here in this lengthy section that takes place on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Jesus has told his disciples that he is leaving And he has been seeking to comfort and prepare his disciples for this. He's given them various encouragements and instructions regarding how they ought to live together after he has departed. And in our text this morning, Jesus begins trying to prepare his disciples for persecution. So let us dive in. If the world hates you, 
Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus tells his disciples to expect hatred from the world. Now this word world gets used several different ways in John's gospel. Uh, In this example, in this case, Jesus is referring to the world as the created moral order in active rebellion against God. So this is a system of rebellion, the world. Uh, Those who are of the world, in this way, Jesus says, the world loves as its own. Those who continue in rebellion against God, those who continue following the ways of the world, will fit in. They are not a threat. They belong. The world, therefore, loves them as its own. But Jesus says to his disciples, you are not of the world. Rather, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So Jesus says his disciples are no longer in the world. They are not part of this system of rebellion against God. They are no longer partaking in in the world's rebellion against God. It's a quote from D.A. Carson. The world is a society of rebels and therefore finds it hard to tolerate those who are in joyful allegiance to the king to whom all loyalty is due. So those who belong to Christ should have a similar impact, a similar effect on the world that their master did. Those who belong to Christ in their presence, their lifestyle, their preaching, their obedience, all of these things testifies to those truths which the world knows but actively suppresses in unrighteousness, Romans 1. The world does not appreciate being reminded of those things that they are actively trying to forget, that they are actively suppressing, pushing down. D.A. Carson again. Former rebels who have, by the grace of the king, been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. So Jesus is now preparing his disciples for what is to come, uh, what will be their lives. And we see in many ways, life for the disciples will actually get even more difficult after Jesus leaves. And so Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared. And in order to prepare them, we get the, the key at the end of the text. Jesus says, I'm saying these things to you to keep you from falling away. Right? And so in order to prevent them from falling away, what does Jesus do? Well, one of the things we see is he wants them to understand the reason for the hatred of the world. Right? Understanding the reason for this hatred is going to be something that will help the disciples to endure it. And so the disciples are to remember when they are hated, that the world hated Jesus first. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So the mistreatment, the hatred, even the persecution the disciples can expect to face is simply the continuation of the way in which the world treated Jesus. Jesus' disciples will go out as his representatives, as his ambassadors. Verse 27, we see Jesus says, they will bear witness to him. And that is their message is in alignment with his. And so as his servants, Jesus' disciples can expect to receive the same treatment from the world which their master received from the world. A servant is not greater than their master. A servant should not expect to be exempted from those things which their master endured. Now Christ said this back in chapter 13 after he washed the disciples' feet in relation to humility and service, right? If their master humbled himself and took a lowly position of service, how much more ought his servants be willing to do the same? Now here, the same principle is applied to suffering and persecution, right? No servant is greater than their master. If the master was hated, so too will the servants be. All these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And so here we see the fundamental divide, the root cause for this hostility. The disciples will be hated, not because they are bad people, not because they are actually just unlikable, not because they are doing anything wrong at all. Rather, They will be hated, they will be persecuted on account of Christ's name. Because their persecutors do not know God. So Jesus gives this reason in order to help his disciples stand, to prevent them from falling away. Understanding the reason will enable the disciples to endure. Firstly, they will not be caught off guard by it. Right? How much easier is it to face something when you actually know that it's coming? Right? When you've been given a heads up, you're not caught off guard, taken by surprise. So first off, Jesus prepares them saying, this is coming, be ready for this. And secondly, knowing the reason for the hatred that they face will be a tremendous help. And so here we have this principle which applies not only in the first century, but to us as well. Those who do not know God will hate Christ. And those who hate Christ will hate his servants. These are theological reasons that it is a deeply rooted hostility in something that is not just unique to the first century. And so this has relevance to every time and place where the church has been persecuted. So Christians, I ask you, 
Are you surrounded by people who do not know God? Then do not be surprised when they hate you. Why? A servant is not greater than his master. If they hated Christ, they will hate you. Now, knowing the reason should strengthen you. It should help you to endure. Right? Knowing the reasons to know the source of the criticism, opposition, and hatred can make all the difference. In this case, the source of that criticism, right, the root cause, is their hatred of God. It is not that they don't like you. It is simply that they don't like God in you. They don't like Christ in you. They do not like the king that you represent and remind them of. So we see the conflict has a much deeper root than anything personal. So do not take it personally if you are hated for the sake of Christ. Do not let it bother you when you are hated on account of Christ's name. In fact, this is a sign, according to Jesus, that things are moving right on schedule. Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Right? Two words together, rejoice and be glad. Be exceedingly glad. Literally, that word is jump for joy. Right? To, to be so glad that one actually jumps. We see that same principle at work in this text. Right, The world, this system of rebellion against God, has always hated God and his representatives. And so when Christians are reviled and persecuted and hated for the sake of Christ and for their faithfulness to his word, for their preaching of his claims, Jesus says they are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For they are receiving the same treatment from the world that Christ received and the same treatment which the true prophets of old received. Now if our community, our province, our nation continues down the path that it's on in throwing off the old ways, in self-consciously rejecting its Christian heritage, then understanding these principles will become more and more important for us as Christians. Right? Jesus knew that his disciples would face difficult times. We see that happen throughout the book of Acts as they are arrested and persecuted and Paul lists his sufferings. Right? Jesus knew his disciples would face this and so he sought to equip them for it. Now, while I hope and pray that the Lord will spare us from the level of persecution endured by the early church, the way things are going now, it certainly looks as if the heat may continue to be turned up and we may have to endure certain levels of suffering 
and persecution for Christ. It is therefore vital for us to be prepared. We must be ready. Right? Read this text and see if Christ tells us to expect the world's hatred, then we must make sure that hatred is not something, not the kind of thing that will cripple us. We must make sure that it is not something that will cause us to compromise. Right? If we know that it's coming, then we must ensure it will not trip us up when it comes. Now, tragically, it has been this very thing that has caused many Christians, many churches, and many Christian institutions to crumble, fold, or compromise. There is a drive within many Christian circles to have the world's respect that has been very effectively weaponized against the church. Generally, we want people to like us. We don't want to be outcasts. We want to have a seat at the table. We want to be a respected voice in society. But as that society becomes more and more openly hostile to the claims of Christ, as our communities and our nation become more and more worldly, many Christians and institutions sadly have either abandoned biblical values so as to match the values of the world, or they have simply shut their mouths. We'll just refuse to speak, refuse to engage, functionally placing their light under a basket. And this is done in order to keep a false, pardon me, a false sense of peace or friendship between them and the world. Scripture tells us this is impossible. James 4 verse 4 says this, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So you see this conflict. It is irreconcilable. It is inevitable. If you want the friendship of the world, that is, if you want the world to love you as its own, you are choosing to make God your enemy. Now, a passage like this one in John serves an important function. Remember again that John's purpose is very evangelistic. He is hoping that by reading this gospel account, that people will uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? They'll believe in him, and by believing, have life in his name. John 20, verse 31. But a passage like this one, recording these words of Christ to his disciples, encourages potential converts to count the cost, to be ready. When you lived in rebellion to God, the world loved you as one of its own. But if you turn to Christ, more will change than simply your destination when you die. 
Make no mistake, this is more than saying a prayer and getting to go to heaven. You are choosing a side. And unless the Lord grants tremendous reformation and revival, we in this country may live our lives behind enemy lines, so to speak. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And salvation through Jesus Christ will bring enmity from the world. Conversion to Christ is not like switching your favorite drink from Sprite to Mountain Dew. It is not changing your favorite color from blue to green, right? This is not some small, insignificant thing that won't really affect much else in your life. You are switching sides in a cosmic struggle. This is a transfer of citizenship to a rival kingdom. Colossians 1.13 describes conversion to Christ in this way. It says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So friends, count the cost before coming to Christ. Jesus warns potential converts following him will come at a cost. It means joining him in the death march, taking up your cross daily, dying to yourself daily, and it will very likely bring derision from the world and frequently even from those who are close to you who are still in bondage to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's continue on. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Now this might be confusing at first glance. right? It sounds as if Jesus is saying that people were living in sinless innocence prior to his coming, But now that he came and they rejected him, well, now they are guilty. Right? If that were the case, then you'd think it would have been better if God had never sent Christ in the first place. Now, I've heard heard people actually teach that this is the case, right? That it is uh, the default destination of people who have never heard Christ. They, They think they are by default going to heaven. And only when they hear of Christ and reject him, they then become guilty and morally culpable. Now such thinking undermines missions. For then why would we follow the example of the apostles and making it a goal to reach unreached peoples with the gospel if they were already going to be saved without ever hearing of Christ? Now the error in thinking this way is the faulty assumption that people are condemned to hell only for rejecting Christ. That's not what the scripture teaches. People are condemned to hell for sinning against God. The wages of sin is death. And Christ is the only remedy, the only way to the Father. He bore our sins. He died and rose again and offers eternal life. This is the only way to the Father. So, if that's not what 
Jesus meant, then what did he mean? D.A. Carson comments, The idea is not that if Jesus had not come, the people would have continued in sinless perfection, but rather by coming and speaking to them, Jesus incited the most central and controlling of sins. Rejection of God's gracious revelation, rebellion against God, decisive preference for darkness rather than light. Close quote. So Christ's presence, his miracles, and his teaching <clears throat> simply revealed what was in their hearts. <clears throat> this is clear in the next verse, Jesus says, Whoever hates me hates my Father also. So the picture we have is not that there were godly Jews who were truly worshiping God in accordance with God's law, right? truly living out uh, the same religion of the patriarchs and prophets, who then rejected Jesus and became sinners. Rather, all who rejected Christ, all who hated Christ, demonstrate that they also hated the Father. Jesus simply shone a light and exposed the dark condition of their hearts. It is an evil heart that can see the Lord Jesus Christ and call him a devil. Jesus is the fullest manifestation of the Father, the clearest revelation of God. And so all true worshipers of the true God would recognize the God whom they love in the person of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that repeatedly through John, right? What has Jesus been saying? If you were children of Abraham, you would believe Christ. If you had believed Moses, you would believe Christ. If you had believed the scriptures, you would believe Christ. If you had loved God, you would love Christ. Those who rejected Christ showed that Abraham was not their father. They showed that they were not the disciples of Moses. They showed that they did not believe the scriptures. And here Jesus lays it out. Whoever hates me hates my father. So why this conflict? Why this animosity from the world toward the followers of Christ? This is simply a manifestation of the ages-long conflict between the righteous and the wicked, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. This is an expression of the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The world and all those who join the serpent in his rebellion will hate the followers of Christ. They will hate faithful Christians. And they will hate us because they hate Christ. And they hate Christ because they hate God. Verse 24. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now the thought here is similar to what we see in the other Gospels. 
Jesus pronounces woes, right? Oracles of judgment against the cities in Israel that rejected him. And Jesus even declares that Sodom and Gomorrah, Tyre and Sidon, right? These wicked cities that God judged in history are going to be judged less severely than these towns in Israel who rejected the Christ. The reason is not that they were committing more heinous sins than those cities, but rather that they sinned against a greater light. The Son of God never performed a miracle or preached a sermon in Sodom, but he did in Bethsaida. He did in Chorazin. He did in Capernaum. And so the reason they are in for a more severe judgment is that they sinned against greater light. They received greater revelation of God than did those pagan cities. And so the principle is this. Those to whom much was given, much will be required. Right, to apply this to us, kids, take it as a solemn warning. You who have been brought to church, you who have heard the gospel over and over again, you know the truth. Do not reject this light like the unbelievers of Jesus' day. Do not hate the Son. Do not hate the Father. With all the light you've been given, were you to reject this now, it may be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for you. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now these verses might seem initially out of place. Weren't we just talking about persecution? Why are we now speaking of the Holy Spirit and bearing witness? Did Jesus change topics in midstream, only to jump back to the topic of persecution in the next verses? Well, no. What these verses help to explain is how and why the hostility toward Christ will continue toward his people. And the reason is, the Holy Spirit will come and will join Christ's disciples in bearing witness about him. Christ's disciples and all those who have believed through their message are not given the option of keeping quiet about Christ. Right? If we were, it would be very unlikely that we would receive nearly as much derision from the world. And we see the pressure applied to keep our religion private. As Vern Poitras writes, In the modern West, many cultural leaders wish to keep religion private. They say, keep it to yourself or keep it inside your family. Cultural leaders want most of life to be secular, a realm where religion makes no difference. They say, in effect, keep your Jesus out of business, work, education, science, technology, government, politics, entertainment, media, and the arts. But if Jesus is in fact Lord of all, 
then he is Lord of all those areas of life. He is already there in his divine authority and power and presence. You cannot keep him out. And trying to keep him out is already a violation of his claims to lordship. Close quote. Further, the option of keeping silent would also be a violation of the charge that we've been given. Christianity is evangelistic. For Jesus Christ commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them, to teach them to obey all that he commanded. And so keeping quiet and pretending as if the claims of Christ had no authority outside the walls of a church building is not an option we've been given. Acts 17, 30, 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God commands all people everywhere to repent. Despite what the world may claim, there is no place that God's authority does not apply. But the world, the system of rebellion to God, will always hate the reminders of God's authority, of God's sovereignty. They hate God, and so they hate Christ, and by extension, those who proclaim Christ. Chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So here again, Jesus gives us the purpose statement. Right? Anytime you have a purpose statement, it makes the job of the preacher easier. What is the point of this whole section? Jesus spells it out. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. Jesus is preparing his disciples for that which is to come. For the greatest danger is not death, but apostasy, right? Abandoning the faith, abandoning Christ. When the heat gets turned up, when the pressure increases, when goods, comforts, and even necessities are taken away, when the threat of violence and death comes, many professing Christians find it all to be a bit much. They find it to be more than they can bear. So, we need to ask, what is the greater danger? What is the true threat? Remember what Christ said in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It is true that coming to Christ may set you as a target for hostility from the world. But friends, hear me closely. 
Choosing friendship with the world is choosing to have God as your enemy. Right? To give in to the pressure, to abandon Christ for earthly ease, for earthly comfort, is to sell your eternal soul to preserve your earthly body. A body that's going to die anyway. It is to trade eternity with Christ for a few short minutes. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Christ intends to preserve his people. We are to be prepared. Not to be caught off guard when hostility comes. So brothers and sisters, let us be ready. Be grounded in what you believe. Keep eternity in sight. Do not get so caught up with this life that you forget about the life to come. Walk closely with the Lord so that when faced with real difficulty, you can say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned the secret of contentment in any and every circumstance, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Practice responding rightly now. God grants all of us smaller trials on a regular basis. And if we respond rightly, these trials are opportunities to grow. James 1, 2-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Seen rightly, trials are opportunities for growth. Respond accordingly. And remember always the reasons for the hostility so that you will not take it personally. The apostles faced persecution from people who thought they were serving God by killing them. See this with Saul of Tarsus. As he persecuted the church thinking he was honoring the Lord. But Jesus said that it was only because these people did not truly know the Father or him. Now in our day too, we face opposition, we face slander, we face hatred, and we may yet face greater persecution from people who believe that they have the moral high ground. They condemn Christians, they condemn biblical morality, they condemn the preaching of the gospel itself as hateful. They justify their hatred of us by claiming that we are the hate-filled ones. And so they hate Christ's followers and do so with the approval of their own seared consciences. And they do these things because they do not know the Father or the Son. Do not be bothered. 
by their hatred. Isaiah 5.20 Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When the hatred and hostility that you receive is for the sake of Christ, when it is rooted in their rejection of God, when it is rooted in their inversion of morality, calling good evil and evil good, their hatred should not bother you. You should not take it to heart. You should not lose sleep over it. You should not be deterred from your work. You should not be silenced by it. You should not be discouraged at all. For they are wrong. They have things upside down and backwards. For they look at the greatest expression of love and grace and mercy, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they claim that to be a message of hatred. They look at a lifestyle, a Christian living out life ordered according to God's word, which will always be the path to joy and human flourishing, and they call that slavery. They say it is backwards and archaic. They can look at a saint, someone truly clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and now growing in holiness, in love, joy, peace, and all the fruit of the Spirit, and they can call him a hateful, spiteful, bigoted, backwards, whatever. The same people look at the murder of the unborn and call it health care, women's rights. They look at the irreversible mutilation of healthy bodies and call that gender affirmation. They look at that which God declares to be abominable in his sight and they call it love. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Do not be bothered. Do not be discouraged. Do not be disheartened. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And brothers and sisters, do not return evil for evil. Let us always remember that our true enemies are not flesh and blood, but rather they are the principalities and powers, the spiritual forces of darkness. And so as we engage with the demonic ideologies of the world, as we seek to tear down arguments and destroy strongholds and engage the kingdom of darkness with the light of Christ and his gospel, remember that you were once enslaved to that same darkness. Remember that Christ can save even the most aggressive of his opponents. Again, just ask Saul of Tarsus. And so we must engage like Christ. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us.
We pray that God might use us to reach even our persecutors with the good news of the gospel. God may yet grant repentance to them like he did to us. God may graciously choose to transfer them from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. We labor and pray to that end. We witness to Christ in a dark world, even as we prepare ourselves to endure the hatred of that world. And we remember that Christ has conquered and he will reward his people. Do not fall away persecution comes. I'll leave you this morning with 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen.